Today on CityCast Salt Lake. Hey, it's Emily Means. Our host, Ali Vallarta, ran into some airline delays on her way back from Europe. That's just 2022 for you, I guess. So I'm popping in to bring you this really important conversation. So listen up. September is National Recovery Month. And according to the University of Utah College of Nursing, eight out of 10 adult drug overdose deaths in this state are due to opioids. Back in April, Allie talked with Dr. Jennifer Plum. She's the medical director for Utah Naloxone. Dr. Plum teaches us how to identify an overdose and how to administer life-saving naloxone treatment. It's Tuesday, September 13th, 2022. I'm Emily Means, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Dr. Plum, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I think that this entire nation is dealing with an opioid crisis, and we all acknowledge that we're in it. But I'm curious how you would characterize this crisis specific to Utah. I think that the awareness has become much greater in the nation and definitely in Utah of what a problem this is. And it's been a journey for Utah because we don't see ourselves as having I'm using my finger quotes, these kind of problems, right? We mm, Everything's mm-hmm. fine here. Everyone's great. Everything's pretty imperfect. And those sort of things don't happen here. And so to characterize it for Utah, I think we, from 2014, in realizing that we were fourth in the nation for opioid overdose deaths, only states worse than us were Kentucky, uh, West Virginia, and New Mexico. Mm-hmm. We've had this kind of awareness path um, that's come to light now. For folks like myself, my brother died of a heroin overdose in Salt Lake in 1996. So this has been in our minds for a long time, but it finally started to come into the public dialogue, you know, in the last 10 years or so. And it went from a very hush-hush topic in in my experience. People didn't really want to talk about it, didn't really want to acknowledge it, didn't want to have it be something that was ever attributed to their family. To then realizing, wow, it's everywhere. It's every home. It's every corner. It doesn't matter what color skin you have, how much money you have, where in the state you live, how much education. It doesn't matter. It's an equal opportunity destroyer. To this space of of more kind of almost activism on behalf of the folks who are at risk. And I've seen that in a lot of, I don't know, unexpected places, right? Like librarians and very conservative political and religious spaces. And places where there's no way 10, 15 years ago, these conversations would have been happening. So the journey's been interesting. I mean, it's it's unfortunately along the trail of this journey are a whole lot of folks will never get back. And we can hopefully keep working to the point where, you know, for me, I, I work in this opiate overdose death prevention space, hoping that one day I'll get a phone call that says, you know what, we actually don't need you anymore. You've been great, but there's nobody dying. Why don't you go on to rescue more pugs or something, right? Like, that's what I keep hoping. And we're not there yet. Utah's rate of opioid overdoses was on the decline. And I'm curious, A, what you think led to that decline. And B, we're now in an uptick. And I'm curious how you would characterize that uptick. To watch what Utah's done in this space, we really got on a great trajectory. We went from fourth in the nation to 38th in the nation. We had conversations. We have messaging, you know, plastered across the state. 
It's okay to say naloxone. It's okay to have naloxone in your purse. It's okay to, Mm -hmm. it's okay. Right. And then, you know, 2020 hit and a lot of things changed. You know, it turns out that we actually need each other. And it turns out we actually need our connection to one another to thrive. And I've heard people say that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connected. And I think that we started to see a whole lot of folks, you know, they couldn't make it to the spaces that were therapeutic to them. They couldn't make it to the places that helped them stay not needing or wanting a substance. Meetings were harder to get to. Appointments were harder to get to. Therapy is harder to get to. And we started to see a ton of anecdotal reports, you know, that folks were using again or that we had lost folks that were in in really decent well places. And then we saw the CDC data come out, which showed that Utah had joined the rest of the nation in escalating back up. So yeah. all of the ground that we had had really fought as a state for and, and made ground on was gone by the end of 2021. We're, we're up above where we were and the nation for the first time ever, 100,000 deaths in a 12-month period, first time ever. So here's where we are hoping that we can have a re-engagement and a reminder that this issue is still critical. And, you know, I get it. Burnout is real and compassion fatigue is real. And it's hard to care about everything all the time. But we really need to re-engage in this space and, and step back and find ways to, to charge forward. It's interesting. That's um, not necessarily what I expected you would say in terms of, of why we've had this uptick in overdoses in, since 2020. But isolation you know, it is something that affected all of us with the arrival of this pandemic that we continue to be in. I'm curious what you think the path forward looks like now. For me, the path forward and for these efforts, for the overdose death prevention efforts, the path forward looks like a re-engagement and a back to basics and a asking our community members who are most impacted, what do you think is needed? What do you feel like is missing? What do you feel like got lost for you in this time? Um, one lesson I've really learned in the last five to 10 years in this space is that you come in thinking, you know, a lot, and you come in thinking you're educated and you've, you know, taken the right classes or have the right <laughs> degrees. It's laughable to even hear myself say it, you know, yeah. but really it's, it, it's, it should be a nothing about us without a space. There should be the folks who are most impacted saying, actually, you know what we need? We don't need more of blank. We need more of blank. You know, here we are in this space now saying, all right, if we're really going to help people, and I love that naloxone has become more and more accepted and more and more prevalent in our communities, but naloxone is not the fix to this. Naloxone is the way that we keep people alive. And you cannot get better if you're dead. So let's keep them alive. What about these next steps? What about finding ways to support people in their path? And that means house them. That means educate. That means give jobs. That means applaud every single step in the right direction. Any positive change. There's a wonderful human by the name of Dan Big, um, who actually started layperson naloxone efforts in Chicago and was a personal hero of mine. And his his motto was any positive change. And, and there's nothing, I think, more relevant than that. Any positive change. You moving towards something positive? Great. What can I do to help you with that? So it's a I mean, it's a lot, right? Because those are actually relatively small asks in theory. In practice, those aren't small asks, it turns out. Like house people, care for people, help them be employed, help them have health insurance, help them be well. Those are bigger asks than we might realize. 
I want to talk a little bit about naloxone. Yeah. And you brought up the very good point that you got to keep someone alive. That's the first step. Yep, what is. is, I have a naloxone kit in my house right now. I don't fully understand what it is. Okay. And what it does. Sure. Which are so simple to explain that this makes it easy. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, and I love that people are open to having it. And I love that people, even like you, that are like, I know this is important to have. Well, and I got it because I live downtown. And yeah. one day I walked out onto my stoop and someone handed me, handed it to me and was like, here, put this in your house. Awesome. <laughs> and here's the website. Watch the tutorial. You know, Awesome. People need to get naloxone in the spaces where they're comfortable. If that's your front stoop, if that's your library, if that's your you know, local fire station where they have it. Maybe it is a pharmacy. Maybe it is your doctor. But in this state, of about 75,000 naloxone kits that went out in 2021, 65,000 of them went out through Utah Naloxone and its kind of overdose outreach providers across the state. About 4,000 went out through the pharmacy system and about 5,000 went out through the public health kind of spaces. So you can absolutely, anyone in the state of Utah can have naloxone legally. You have le legal protections to be both civil and criminal protections for good faith that you use it. So you think someone is overdosing, you have a naloxone kit, you can feel very well protected legally that you're doing the right thing by stepping in and you are not introducing yourself to like any liability risks. All right, so you've got this thing. You don't exactly know what it is. Well, naloxone has, it's a substance that has one job. You cannot get high with it. You cannot relieve pain with it. You cannot become dependent on it. You cannot overdose on it. The only thing you can do is reverse an overdose on an opioid if that's what someone's experiencing. Okay. The way it does that is it binds to the receptors in your brain where opioid substances sit. So the opioid goes in your brain. It sits on those receptors and it triggers the get high or relieve pain response. It also triggers if you have too many of them filled respiratory depression, which means you don't breathe or you're not breathing well. Okay. Naloxone knocks those opioids off of those receptors in the brain. It's like 50 to 75 times stronger affinity or stickiness for those receptors. Wow. And so if you can get it into somebody in time, it'll just kick those opioids off, sit right there on the receptor, and the overdose is over. It's a simple, simple, simple concept that I wish we had more substances like it for other um, drugs that are out there. So it doesn't work on alcohol does not work on methamphetamine, does not work on cocaine, does not work on benzodiazepines, which are like nerve pills, Xanax, Ativan, Valium. We have a lot of those in this day. It only works on opioids and you cannot hurt anyone with this substance, which is why it's so like easy for us to get it in so many hands. Yeah. So in your mind, like if you ever had to use it, trust me, I, I will predict that you would be terrified. What if I hurt this person? What if I'm wrong? Totally. What if? And, and you could know that that person in front of you, if it's an opioid overdose, you're going to save their life. If it's a diabetes problem, if it's a stroke, if it's a heart attack, you will not hurt them. Mm -hmm. So what you're looking for when you're wondering if someone's overdose, so there's five things I teach people. Okay. They're not talking and they're not moving. Those are the first two. Okay. So this is not someone who's like really nodded out and slow and slurred, right? That That's someone who's dosed or high. That's not someone who's overdosed. Overdosed is, you're out. You're, hey, okay. buddy, 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 wake up. Can't get him to wake up sort of thing. All right, first mm -hmm. two things, not talking, not moving. Okay. Then I had to tell people to look at the eyes, the lips, and the lungs. 
So you're looking for signs. You're looking for clues. Now, sometimes you know. Sometimes someone will say they just shot up heroin and now they're not breathing. Okay. That you probably don't need to look that far if that's what somebody's told you. Or if you know, for example, when, when we were, you know, with my brother still around, when we found him slumped over and, and not responding to us and, and getting an ugly kind of purplish grayish to him, we had a pretty good idea of what it was, right? So don't feel like you have to become a full detective to figure this out. These just are the things you're looking for. So not talking, not moving. Eyes, lips, lungs. Now the eyes are going to get tiny, tiny fleck of pepper, like a tiny black pupil. You know how we've, we've popped our eyes open little, big, little, big for the pupil since we're, you can do that in the mirror yeah. since we're kids. Yeah. If you pop somebody's eyes open and that black pupil is like tiny, like I say, fleck of pepper, you, you know all you need to know. That's okay. opioids. Nothing else okay. in medicine causes that. And it won't go up and down. It'll stay little. So that same person, I was like, buddy, buddy, wake up. Pop open the eye and you see that, you're done. That's, the, that's an opioid. You can feel very comfortable with that. You get 911 on the phone. Okay. But I understand why people are afraid of that, right? We do yeah. have good Samaritan protections. Like, I understand, but do, your, do the right thing. You will not forgive yourself if that person doesn't wake up and you didn't get them help. All right. So you, you, the other signs you're going to look for, eyes, lips, lungs. Remember I said they're not breathing? That means they're going to get grayish, purplish lips. Okay. Or sometimes their nail beds, too. If you're a darker-skinned person, it'll be their nail beds. And then lungs. They're not breathing or not breathing right. Mm. Not talking, not moving, eyes, lips, lungs. Does it have to be 100% of those things? Absolutely does not. Only thing that has to be 100%, they're not awake. You never give naloxone to somebody who's awake. Okay. So that's what you're looking for. And then you have this kit. Every kit that, that is out there um, has prescription instructions on it. It has a prescription label, just like anything you pick up at a pharmacy. It is not paraphernalia. The kits that we get out across the state, thousands and thousands of them, they have two syringes and they have two doses of medication. Each little dose of medication comes in a vial. Single individual diet vial is the same dose for everybody. Okay. I mean that truly, like six-month-old baby, six-year-old German shepherd, 16-year-old girl, 60-year-old guy. It, mm -hmm. No, it's the same dose for everybody. Okay. And you will see when you take it out of the package, you kind of flip off a little... Um, plastic cap that's on the top and there's a rubber stopper. You just go right through it with your needle. And there are videos on this on our website. They're three-minute videos or you can attend one of our trainings if you want, you know, more kind of, you know, just keep reinforcing it in your mind. Okay. And you move the needle down to the bottom of the vial where there's liquid. You pull it all up and then you just inject that right into somebody's big muscle. Pulp fiction, not a thing. Yeah, okay. Do not <laughs> ever stab anybody in the heart. I think that's everyone's mind goes, right? Totally. Oh, it is. And Absolutely I, had, I had one grandma ask me, do I make the black mark on their chest? And I was oh, like, God. oh, so that's gone that far. No, it's a big muscle, arm, thigh, butt. And, and you just like, you know, you don't have to do it like you're throwing a dart. You don't have to lean back. 90 degrees, just line it right up with their skin. Like you're getting, think about when you've got a booster or a flu shot. Yeah. Ooh, right in. And okay. go right through close. Right through so close. So I don't need to find a vein. No, you do not. Big muscle. Now, they may feel lousy. Because if you're opioid dependent, that means you're used to having those opioids on your receptors in your body, right? Mm. And when you knock them off, they go into withdrawals. That's how withdrawals happen. So you may make someone feel lousy, um, but that doesn't hurt them. And I always say, I, I'm sorry you're miserable. I'm really glad you're alive. Like that, that's kind of where it goes for me. Um, it's that simple though. It's, it's truly that simple. And you can use this. We use it in the ER on toddlers. You can 
you know, we have a lot of kids and a lot of pills in this state. Guess who gets into pills? I mean, I had one night in my, on my ER shift at primary children's where I had four kids, zero to four, all overdosed on opioids at the same time, four different homes. So anywhere there could be opioids, there should be naloxone is kind of my, my shtick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So where am I keeping it? I'm keeping it in the car, in the glove box. I tell folks, so I always have one on the top of my fridge at my house. I have one in my purse. I have one in my backpack and I have one in my car. I do worry that it gets too hot in the summer and too cold in the winter. And so what I tell people is if that's where you're storing it, let's make sure to turn over your kits more frequently just in case it, it loses some of its potency, right? Yeah. Which is another reason I advocate for fanny packs, right? If we all had fanny packs and naloxone in it, the world would be a better place. But fanny packs are getting a little more accepted. Maybe not quite there oh, yet. Oh, yeah. But. I think they're having a moment. <laughs> they are having yeah. a moment. So just tuck your naloxone in your fanny pack that you're even more set. And where can people get them? Like if I decide... I've got this one in my house. Maybe I want to grab one to keep in my backpack. Where yeah. do I go to get it? In the Wasatch Front, you can go to any Salt Lake County library. You can go to any Salt Lake City library. You can go to fire departments. There's about 12 different fire departments all up and down the Wasatch Front where they have them, some of those up in Weber and Davis as well. And then for folks who don't necessarily feel comfortable stepping into a space and saying, I need that kit. Because you you identify all of a sudden as someone either who is at risk of overdose or is around people who are at risk of overdose. And that's intimidating, right? Especially in this state where we do a lot of that judging thing. Mm -hmm. um, you could absolutely sign up for one of our virtual free naloxone trainings. We do them at least, last month we did eight of them, I think, but we usually do them at least every week or two. And you can zoom in from the comfort of your home. You don't have to, you know, sign, you don't have to show us your face or anything. Learn how to use it. Learn a little bit about the epidemic and we will send a kit to you as well. So there's a lot of different ways that you can get them. If you're if you're just trying to figure it out, just email us at utonaloxone at gmail.com and we'll we'll help you plug into whatever's going to be easiest for you. Awesome. Dr. Pum, thank you so much for your time and oh, the work that you're doing in this space. I'm so lucky. I'm so you. grateful for this opportunity. A little more news before we go. In support of Recovery Month, Utah Naloxone is actually having a free training Tuesday, September 13th. If you register for this event, you'll get a Naloxone rescue kit of your own. Utah Naloxone also has some videos on their website if you want to learn a little bit more about spotting and reversing opiate overdoses. We'll post that link in the show notes for you. And you can follow Utah Naloxone on Instagram and Facebook to see their calendar of trainings, just in case you missed this one. That's all for us today on CityCast Salt Lake. If you learned something new, please subscribe and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Bye.